Thank you. Yes, uh, as mentioned, um, the CNAG group, we um, have the privilege of observing from up at the, the Rollwright Stones and the Kingstone Field, which is just over the road. And this is a typical evening where we're all set up with all of our telescopes. And earlier on in the year, back in July, um, we were honoured to um, have the Sky at Night team along. And most unusually for organising an astro event, we had clear skies, unlike tonight. And here's a couple of the presenters here. They were looking at the moon. They, the subject of the, uh, of the evening was the Moore Moon Marathon. So they had everybody, all the scopes there, looking up at the moon. And that was the moon phase on the night. That was my particular image I took. And the moon, it's an obvious target for doing some astrophotography. If you've uh, just got a small camera, ordinary lens, this was taken on about a 300 millimeter focal length lens, so no telescope or anything required. It's the crescent moon, brightly lit, and the earth shine, the reflected light from the earth, lighting up the, uh, the shadowed side of the moon there with the Pleiades in the background. It's a very big sort of contrast range, and taken through a telescope, to do a picture like this, you need to do two exposures, one for the uh, sunlit side and one for the shadow side, and then Photoshop gets used an awful lot to sort of stick these things back together again. But the moon, there's a, there's a wealth of detail. As uh, the moon goes through its phases, the terminator um, between the light and shade part of the moon is where you really see all of the detail. And it changes hour by hour, almost minute by minute. When you're looking along that line, you can see little peaks of craters coming out into view. And eventually you get around to full moon. And full moon is a time when you might find other people about at night, but you don't find many astronomers. Uh, the detail disappears. If I put up this little comparison shot, on the left-hand side is the full moon. On the right-hand side is when the Terminator is in that same area. And there's a, oops, this crater here, uh, Aratathenes, I think it is, it's about 56 kilometers across, full moon. It's invisible, you can't see it, something that size. So, you know, all the mountain ranges, I say all the peaks that come out, in this image they're flattened. But what you will see in this shot on the full moon is all the ejector rays, everything that's thrown out from Big impacts, that's the crater Copernicus, about 90 kilometers across. They're far more obvious at full moon than they are during the phases. And one of the things you can do at full moon, this is the same shot that you saw just now, but this is the color turned up to number 11. And it's surprising that there are little differential colors in the moon. You look at it and all the pictures you saw previously, they all look black and white, but there is a little bit of color there. And you think, well, is that random, but if you do a little bit of research on the web, um, you can see actually the different colored areas. This is my picture on the left, taken from the back garden in Whitney. The one on the right, I think it came from a, a, a lunar orbiter about 20 years ago. Um, again, indicating the various sort of rock types and things, and you can see it just through a, a, an ordinary small telescope. The photographs you've seen of the moon a lot of those, were, well, all the ones you've seen were taken with a DSLR camera. And if you go out and you take a still shot of the moon, you'll end up 
with the image as it appears on the left-hand side. This is just a, an enlarged segment to sort of show the difference. That's a single picture. This one is about 20, 30 frames stacked up in Photoshop. And again, you can see there's detailed craters on the right-hand side that you can't see on the left, but that is made from about 20 or 30 of those. So if you go out and you do a quick snap and you go, oh, it's rubbish. Do some research on the web, look up YouTube tutorials and things. You can find programs that will stack your images and you can start producing pictures like that. Um, another way of uh, getting some imagery is to actually use video. So um, this is a video through a small black and white mono camera. And you can see this is a live image. That's what it looks like when you look through the telescope. It's shimmering and shaking all the time. And you can imagine, if you take a still image, you're going to grab that, you're going to get that little bit of distortion. That's why on the previous shot, some have got craters on and some haven't. So with this, rather than taking 20 or 30 pictures and sticking them together, you're taking thousands of pictures and sticking them together. And when you do that, you can get a picture like this. But if I show this at 100%, and then start moving it around. This is the sort of level of detail that you can capture taking multiple sections with the video camera. So it also works very well for planets, but it's, it's just a phenomenal that you can do. This was with a eight inch reflector telescope, typical of what we've got outside. If you looked through the telescope, you'd get, a, you'd get a fleeting glimpse of this, but it'd be there and it would be gone. But once you process the video files, um, as I say, you can get all of this from your file. Let's uh, go back. To give you some idea of uh, scale again, this was a close pass of Jupiter and its moons going nearby the moon. So you can see the detail you can get on the moon. Jupiter, even though it's the, the biggest apparent diameter of the planets, it's, that's the sort of relative size of it. So it's a bit more of a struggle. Now, we go on to do a couple of uh, deep sky imagery. This is my typical sort of setup for uh, uh, doing nebulas and the like. But I also use the kit that's out in the reception out there now. It's basically a tracking mount with an ordinary SLR camera on it with an ordinary photographic lens. And with that, you can take wide field swathes of the summer Milky Way. Um, we have the North American Nebula there. This is all centered around Cygnus. Um, there's the Dumbbell Nebula, the Veil. If I move in a little bit closer, again, this is all like a 200 millimeter camera lens, that sort of range. No telescopes, nothing. Again, if you look at this and you enlarge an area up, this is the Milky Way. The, to the eye, it just looks like a, a smear, but once you put a camera on it, tens and tens and tens of thousands of stars are there. You can put some filters on. This is a color image, but if you use a hydrogen alpha filter, uh, a narrowband filter, uh, this enables you to take pictures in, in um, light-polluted areas and also when the moon's up. But you can get this lovely, wonderful sort of tonal sways of the, of the nebulosity all the way through. In this image, um, spanning again from Cygnus all the way down. And in the bottom left-hand corner, 
you've got the Veil Nebula. Now that's a uh, planetary um, nebula left over from a supernova that went off about 5,000 odd years ago. Um, looks very spectacular in colour. The western aspect of it, the right-hand side, that's called the Witch's Broom. And there's a closer-up uh, image of it. The witch has obviously fallen off, but it's, um, it's a nice little target there. A few more colour shots. We have the Heart and Soul Nebula. And again, this is it in hydrogen alpha light. Again, this is just uh, a 300 millimeter camera lens. This is called the Elephant's Trunk. I've always find it difficult to actually understand why, but it's this little area down here is the elephant's trunk, and that's what it looks like larger. I'm still none the wiser as why it's called the elephant's trunk nebula. These pictures, like the moon picture you saw that was stacked up from lots of still shots, that's how a lot of these images are done. They're tracked on the mount, and you take 20 or 30 of them, combine them in Photoshop. So if you have picture like this and you put 20 of them together, it looks like that. So half of the time with these pictures, well more than half the time, is actually the processing on the computer afterwards and it's, it's fun if you enjoy it, I enjoy it, and, you know, to bring out all these, these fantastic imagery that, I mean when I was a kid the professional astronomers were doing this and now I can do it in my back garden. The Andromeda Galaxy, Iris Nebula, that's a nice little blue one. Uh, there's Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. That's the image that we saw of the, the crescent moon earlier on. That's what it looks like through a telescope. Um, going on to some more fleeting aspects, we had a, a nova last year near the constellation of Delphinus. Um, it's that little box on the right-hand side. It got to naked eye visibility, and it's one of those things you, uh, you've got to make an effort to sort of uh, take a shot of it. And um, meteors, even more fleeting visitors. Uh, this one was uh, August the 12th. We had a good show up at the Royal Wright Stones. This thing flashed across the sky. And in fact, if I go to an animated GIF, you can see that it shoots across. And I'm taking a picture every 30 seconds. But you can see the ionization left behind dissipates. It was so bright. This is, you know, hit the upper atmosphere, completely vaporized. and if you see a really bright one and you're taking pictures, keep taking pictures because you'll get this. And if, we, if, I'm, if I'm moving closer again, and because it was a, such a spectacular image and I put this up on Flickr and the guy had seen this and he emailed me and he said, well, exactly where were you? And I said, where I was. And he contacted a couple of other people. We'd all photographed the same meteor. And what he then did was to actually triangulate and work out where it was. And in this image here, I'm observer two at the Rollwright Stones. And it transpires that this thing was sort of overhead about Farringdon. And it was lit up from about 89 to down to about 82 kilometers up as it was heading off down towards the southwest. So fascinating. Now, comets are probably all the sort of topic of the moment. And uh, I'll run you through a very few pictures of comets. This is pan stars which was a fairly bright one last year. It produced a very nice tail. I mean, in that previous picture, it was, it, it's, it's spreading quite a way across the North Pole. And it made a very nice pass to the Andromeda galaxy and also a nice 
hydrogen alpha region called Cedar Blad 214. Um, and I think that one again was up at the Royal White Stones on a very windy night. Actual going really recent now, there, there's a comet in that picture, Comet Lovejoy. It's down in the corner there. If I zoom in on it, this was taken about two weeks ago. And here's a little animated GIF uh, frame about every three minutes showing it moving along. Uh, and of course, the other comet we're all interested in is Comet Ison. Comet Ison is on that picture. On the 8th of September was when I first caught it. Uh, that's Mars on the right-hand side. Comet Ison is the tiny little dot, oops, just within there. It took a lot of research on the web, looking at every professional's pictures to figure out that I exactly had the right one. Uh, a week or two later, it made a nice conjunction with Regulus, uh, bright star Regulus on the bottom right, Mars in the middle, and again, the comet is up here in the top left. So that was Comet Ison of about three weeks or so ago. And here's a little animated GIF and this one was um, taken on the 13th of November. Again, I'm just taking still frames and the thing's moving down towards the sun, but you'll see a bright flash. That just happened to be the International Space Station decided to go through my frame as I was taking it. But that's not the most unusual coincidence I had because a couple of days before that, I was taking pictures of Comet Ison and I had a fireball come down through the very narrow angle field of view on one of 200 millimeter lens, so I'm photographing a tiny bit of sky, and the chances of getting a fireball coming down and finishing within the frame next to Ison, it's never gonna happen to me again. Uh, these are single frames. As you, again, you can see the ionization breaking off and drifting away, so again, this is probably you know, 70, 80 kilometers up, and this is a, a little animation of it. And the last picture I got of Ison was the 19th of November. Um, again, we're up at the airfield, and this is a sequence of just 20 second exposures all stacked up. And obviously, uh, it goes around the sun at 25 minutes past eight tomorrow night, and, and then it will move off into the morning sky. So hopefully, it will then be spectacular and everybody gets to see it. So um, with that, something to look forward to. Um, thank you very much.